0: Luke 18 And Jesus This is talking about Jesus He said and he spake a parable Unto them to this end That men That word men there Is meaning mankind Okay People Humanity My people He spake a parable unto them To this end that men ought to always pray and not to faint. You see, we live in a society of people who are fainting at the drop of a hat. We live in a society of so-called Christians in churches today that are dropping out like flies, who are fainting, who are wearied, who are Struggling, who are growing apathetic and careless in their walk with Christ. And we wonder, why in the world are people acting as they are? Brothers and sisters, I come here tonight to tell you that Jesus spoke this parable to them to this end, that men ought to always pray. And not faint. Why is the church in the state that the church is in? It is because men and women are not praying. Amen? Not earnest prayer. Sure, we pray when we have a need. Sure, we pray when we feel like we're sick. Sure, we pray when we can't pay the light bill. We're going to pray about it. But are we earnestly and expectantly seeking God every day for all of the things that we're told to pray about? Or are we only seeking God when it benefits me? Or maybe when somebody else is in trouble? But do I have an earnest, everyday prayer life? I want to go to Matthew. Matthew. Chapter six. We're going to go back to this and I'm going to keep going back to this until we get it because today I want to bring out an issue here that we must that we must talk about. And I titled tonight's message earnestness in prayer. Prayer ought to be earnest. Anybody know what the word earnest means? If you don't, I got my I got pulled up on my phone. If you thought I was just over there texting. While worship was going on, you're wrong. I was pulling up a definition because I didn't write it down. Earnest. An adjective resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. I'm an earnest follower of Christ. I'm an earnest disciple of Christ. We can use this word earnest and devout interchangeably when it comes to prayer. I'm either, I'm earnest in devout prayer. I can be devout and still not necessarily be earnest, but they are very similar in the understanding because people generally are not devoted to something that they're not earnest about. People are generally not devoted to things that they're not convicted are true or necessary to do. Amen? See, the problem today is a great number of Christians are feeling that church is unnecessary. Why? Because their convictions lay elsewhere. A great many people are thinking that church is kind of something all right to do, but you don't have to do it. Why? Because their convictions are elsewhere. And I'll tell you, honest and, and true, they may have sincere convictions about this, but their convictions about not coming to church do not derive from, are not derived from God's Word. God's word is absolutely crystal clear that we need each other, that we're to be devoted one to another, we're to be devoted to Christ, we're to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to to, uh, fellowship, to breaking the bread, amen. All of these things are modeled for us all throughout the New Testament. They met daily, they met in houses, they met even to the detriment of their own life and their own well-being, they met. Why? Because their conviction was it was necessary. Their earnest conviction was it was necessary to do this. Modern Christianity thinks very little of the things of God or the things that we are bound to. In the New Testament to do. I know that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Not by works lest any man should boast. That does not take away from the fact that we have a duty to live for Christ. And Christ has set expectations through his apostles on how we are to live. Amen. We're to live as salt and light. We wonder why nobody wants to come to the church house when we do invite them. Maybe it's because they never see us there. Maybe it's because the world has seen that the church doesn't even want to be at church. I know this is a hard saying tonight going to get harder so hold on I say this in love and I preach this message in love we're going to go to Matthew 6 we're going to start at verse 9 and Jesus talking about prayer and I'm going to bring out several things in this that we have not talked about but before we even get to these verses I want you to understand that if you would read Matthew 6 verse oh, 6 through 8. Before you read how we are supposed to pray, you're supposed to read how our attitude of prayer should be. Amen? Our attitude and how we pray and why we pray and the purpose for which we pray, the the reasoning behind our prayer is absolutely implicitly, are inextricably inseparable from why we pray and what we pray. Those those two things are not separable. Jesus teaches in in uh, six eight through or six six through eight. I want to read it. He says, "But thou, when thou praised, enter in to thy closet." In other words, get intimate with God. Let it be a personal conviction that you go and have specific alone time with God. He even says, go into thy closet. And now this closet means inner room, right? Go into your inner room and shut the door, right? Why? Why? And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which is which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions that the heathen do, but they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be not therefore likened unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of, before ye ask him. So here, God is taking away selfish motivations for prayer. He's taken away this idea that oh, God's the lottery ticket, and if I go and pray, I can scratch this lottery ticket and I can just ring the uh, the the uh, what is what do they call it the slot machine of heaven, and I'll just get my prize. See, it's not about you. It's not even about the things that you need. What is prayer for? It's not just about you. And if your prayer life is just about you, you're praying wrong. This is not what we're told to do. Are we to bring our requests before God? Certainly. But that shouldn't be the main focus of your prayer. If we read this prayer and we come out of this prayer thinking that, this is only about things that I need, then we haven't even read this prayer for what it's saying. Amen? This prayer starts off and finishes with God being glorified. Amen? Verse 9. He says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Manner. This manner. And it doesn't just mean say everything I just said. He said, pray after this manner or this way, this attitude, this uh, understanding of what I'm praying for, this manner of prayer. What manner of prayer are we seeing? Number one, he says, Our Father. Which are in heaven. Who are we praying to? God the Father. Amen. Look I'm not telling people they can't say oh Jesus give me this and oh Jesus help me with that. That's fine but Jesus didn't tell you to even pray to him. I love you but Jesus taught you to pray to the Father in his name. He says it all throughout the Gospels. Whatever you ask of my Father in my name, you will have it, right? Even in this, in verse 8 or, or verse uh, uh, 6, but when thou prayest to thy Father, which is in secret, thy Father, which seeth what's done in secret, will reward you openly. Who are we praying to? We're praying To God the Father. Amen? We pray to our Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. Where is He? In heaven. Why is that important? Because He is lifted up. God is the object of our prayer, He is the reason that we're praying. Hallowed be thy name. Prayer is worship to God. Prayer tells God, I follow you. I'm yours. I'm worshiping you. Everywhere throughout the Old Testament, prayer is synonymous with worship. If you worshiped Baal, what did you do? You went to the temple of Baal and you prayed. If you worshiped Asherah, what did you do? You went to that Asherah pole out in the middle of nowhere and you prayed. If you worshiped uh. uh, uh The the gods in Egypt, what did you do? You went into their temple and you prayed to that god. If you worshiped Yahweh, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you went into the tabernacle in uh, in, in Moses' day and in David's day and in in Solomon's day, you went to the temple. In Jesus' day, the Jews went to the temple and they prayed to Yahweh, What made Jesus so mad when they were buying and selling in the temple? He said, my father's house is not a marketplace. It is a house of prayer. Why? Because prayer is worship to God. And how dare any Christian say they follow Christ, yet never pray, never seek God, never have that time set aside for God. It is a horrible thing testable thing to claim that we follow this God yet we never pray to him. N- prayer is the most basic form of worship. period prayer the disciples all throughout the New Testament are marked by prayer and praying and are admonished the, 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 all the churches to pray pray always pray without ceasing, Pray for me. Pray for you. Pray for this person. Pray for that person. Prayer, 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 prayer. You can't open an epistle of Paul's. You can't read Peter's letters. You can't read James or Jude without running into, please pray for us. Why? Because prayer, number one, is worship to God. And number two, our only means of receiving anything that we have in our Christian life. Period. Prayer is what we're told to do when we're sick. Prayer is what we're told to do when we're at war with our flesh. Prayer is what we're told to do for uh, for our enemies. Prayer is what we're told to do for those downtrodden and hurting. Prayer is what we're modeled to do for those who are in prison and sick. Prayer. Every time. Prayer, prayer, prayer. The ship's going to wreck. What am I going to do? I'm going to pray. I'm being put in jail. What am I going to do? I'm going to pray. Prayer is worship to God. Hallowed be thy name. The second thing that prayer is, is this is seeking God's kingdom To come and God's will to be done. So therefore, I can't come only about my own expectations. What do I expect out of prayer? Of course I want my prayers answered, right? Don't you want your prayers answered? I want God to uh, bless my family, bless my wife, give us favor in the community as a church. I want him to grow this church. I want him to do all that. But not just for my sake. Not just so I feel better about the things that are going on, but because God's kingdom needs to come. God's will needs to be done. And my focus in prayer should be God's kingdom. God's will. The Bible says that it's God's will, little children. To give you the kingdom. Luke chapter 12 verse 32. It is his will to give you the kingdom. Stop acting as if God is trying to withhold it from you. How do I get this? Jesus said pray this way. Thy kingdom come. But if that's never part of my prayer life. If I'm never actually seeking God's will and praying, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come into my life. If I'm not doing that, how can I have any expectation without earnest prayer? Expecting God to move when you haven't asked him to do anything is so foolhardy. It's so not modeled in scripture. It's never modeled that the disciples, if they wanted to go to this town, that they just sit back and said, "Ah, we'll go over there. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. They didn't just do that. They prayed. They sought the Lord about it. Even after Peter preaches a sermon 3,000 people get saved he gets put in jail as soon as he gets out what does he do he said we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us and keep us uh, uh, filled up so we can go out and boldly proclaim the gospel nothing great in our community in our church in our life will happen outside of prayer period Thy will be done. Why do we pray, thy will be done? 1 John 5.14 says that we know that we will have whatever we ask of him if we're praying according to his will. You see, God's not out here to do your will for your life, Kyle. God's not out here to do Carmen's will for her life. God's not out here to do Mike's will for Mike's life. God's out here to have Mike do God's will. You see, we serve him, not the other way around. We don't serve. We, or God doesn't serve us. We serve God, and we're here to do his will. And if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not come into this world to do his own will, but to do the will of the him who sent him, then our job is not to do our own will, but to do the one, the will of him who sent me, who sent me. Christ sent me. Christ sent you. If you're a born-again believer, your job is to do Christ's will. And how will I have that if I don't even ask? Now we get to the portion of the prayer that does have to deal with us, amen? Give us this day our daily bread, amen? Yes, God does know the things that we have need of. Look at verse 8. Be ye therefore not like unto them For your father knoweth what things you have need of Before you ask him God is ready, willing, and able To meet all of your needs And to help you in your life He is But it's going to be on his terms And you don't It ain't Burger King You don't always get the things you want You don't always get it the way you want That's why this part is before or after praying God's will be done. That's why this is after praying God's will be done. So now that I have sought God's will, now I can turn my attention to my life and the needs of my life. But when I pray, I must understand that God already knows what I have need of. And he's a good father and he gives good gifts. And if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, why would we think that God would not give good gifts unto them who believe in him and seek him? Amen. Matthew 4, 4. You flip a page back. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Here's where I want to get with this one, okay? This give us this day our daily bread does not just mean Take care of our earthly needs. Do you understand that you need God in your life every day? You need God, a a fresh, new, awakened experience with God every morning. So you're coming to God in prayer to receive your daily dose of mercy and grace that you're going to need for the next 24 hours to make it to the next morning, to to live your life in a way that glorifies him, that daily bread that's going to cause you to be so salt and light. That daily bread that's going to cause you to pray and seek God and and avoid temptation because that's the next part of the prayer. Come on, somebody. That daily bread that's going to teach you how to to forgive those who trespass against you and and that that they would forgive you. That God would forgive you like you're forgiving them. How am I going to do that if I don't have my daily bread? You understand? It's not just about your needs. It's not just about the things that you have bodily needs for. But this is about man does not live on bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yet we can go all day and never crack a Bible open. We can go all day and never meditate on God's word. We can go all day and never say, God, I'm so thankful that you gave me your word to build my faith up. I'm so glad that you gave me this avenue of prayer. Do you realize that when, when, what does it say? Beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Prayer is a means of grace that can help you immensely, just as God's word is a means of grace that can edify the body and help us in our walk. This daily bread is going to be the supply for every part of the prayer that comes after this. Watch this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, so often we can get trapped in this. But if you wanted to skip down to verse 14 and 15, it says, For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a very important subject. That God is teaching us that we ought to forgive as we have been forgiven, Amen. Flip over to Ephesians chapter four really quickly. I'm gonna. Uh, if you don't want to flip there, I'm gonna flip there and just read it for you anyway. Okay, Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Beloved, God didn't even forgive you for your sake. He forgave you for Christ's sake. And you are not to withhold forgiveness from other people for their sake. You forgive others for Christ's sake. And that's what he says right there. He says, do it just like God forgave you for Christ's sake. Then you forgive others for the sake of Christ. Amen. So we forgive because we have been forgiven. Amen. That forgiveness will not come though. And I won't have that supply within me if I don't have my daily bread. Can I get an amen? I know I sound like Feltner right now. You got to give me a break. Josh, don't watch this sermon. He won't like it. I say amen too much. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I have a couple verses on this, okay? Lead us not into, uh, lead us not into temptation flip over to James chapter 1 the book of James chapter 1 right after Hebrews and we're going to start reading at verse 13 let no man say when he is tempted I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man but every man is tempted when he is drawn of his own lusts and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth fruit uh, bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, beloved, my beloved brethren. every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of Lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Number one. Lead us not into temptation does not mean God is tempting us. It is asking God to lead me down paths where I will not be tempted to sin. This is akin to Psalm 23. Uh, let's go read Psalm 23 just for a second. I want to read it to you that way I'm not butchering it for you. But Psalm 23 is he is asking God to do these things, okay? This is David's uh, a declaration of what God does for the believer. Amen? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down beside green pastures. And he leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul and leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. James is telling us that we should pray and, uh, or, or, or excuse me, Jesus is teaching us that we should pray and ask God to lead us away from temptation. Lead me away from temptation. Lead me to a path of righteousness. For your name's sake, God, do that. Please, God, keep me from the path, of sin. Now we know from Psalm one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, or standeth in the way of sinners. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on His thought does he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. So I don't get the blessing without my delight being in the law of the Lord. And meditating on it day and night. Amen. In other words, I don't get led in paths of righteousness without my daily bread. I will not be led away from temptation. If I'm not daily getting my bread, my nutrition, my Daily mercy, my daily grace, if I am not partaking of the daily means of grace that God has given me to overcome sin. And one of those is prayer, the other is the Word of God. Amen. Matthew 4 1, Jesus says, uh, in Matthew four one, we see that uh, not Matthew four one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew four one. Uh, flip over there real quick. I'm going to show you something. <clears throat> then Jesus was led up into the spirit, uh, led of the, up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Notice that yes, God led Christ by the spirit into the wilderness, but God did not tempt Christ who tempted him it says it to be tempted of the devil yes God will allow us to walk through temptation or testing but he's not the one tempting us it's either our own lusts or it's the devil or the world enticing our own lusts, Amen. Deliver us from evil. First John one nine. First John one nine. First John is right after Second John, or right before Second John. Not right after, because then you'd be in Third John. First John one. 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Colossians 1 13. Colossians is right after Philippians. Colossians 1 verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of God? Of his dear son. Deliverance from sin. Only comes from Christ. Period. Amen. Amen. Christ is the only one. Who can deliver us. From evil. Who can lead us away from evil. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. That makes us not to want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He restores our soul. He leadeth us in paths of righteousness. How does he do that? How do we obtain that? We obtain that through prayer and the word of God. Amen? So to this point, we have seen that prayer is earnest earnestly seeking God for these things. I have a few questions that I want to ask, and we're going to move on to the last half of this sermon. Are all of these that we've talked about so far, glorifying God, understanding we're praying to God the Father, and it is worship to him. Our prayer is a form of worship, and understanding that changes how we pray, why we pray, our intentions in praying. Amen? We're praying for his kingdom and his will to come and to be done. We're praying that we might receive our daily bread. Yes, God, meet all of my needs physically. But God, also meet all of my needs spiritually that I'm going to need today to overcome temptation, sin, and unforgiveness. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us because you have already forgiven us. We should forgive them. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us, God. Lead us in paths of righteousness and lead us away from temptation and deliver us, God. When we do fall short, forgive us, help us, and keep us from doing evil, God. And we've seen even in the case of Abimelech, God restrained Abimelech from doing sin and sleeping with Sarah. Amen? He restrained him and God can restrain your sin. We end the prayer with this. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Why? Because it's his kingdom It's his power and it's his glory. That's who gets. It's his kingdom because he's the king. It's his power. It's not mine. I will not be able to do any of this by my power. It has to be through him. And three, it's for his glory and not for mine. These are these your earnest and continual desires in prayer. Is this what your prayer life consists of? Is your prayer earnest and continual? Now I'm going to go through a few verses about earnest and continual prayer. So I want you to just bear with me. Some of these we have read several times. Some of them not so much. But we'll go to Acts chapter 2. Obviously this is a very Uh, easy one to remember Acts 2 42 and we already know what it's going to say and I'm going to read it again anyway and they continued steadfastly the ESV on verse 42 says that they devoted themselves isn't that what it says they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine to fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers Acts 2, 42. Why would they devote themselves to these things? Why are these things so important for them to be devoted to? And we have already talked about it. This devotion. Nobody's going to be devoted to something that they don't have the deep conviction that they should be doing it. Amen. So that deep conviction in itself is earnestness. Amen. That's what earnestness means. It means a conviction that you ought to be doing this. Amen. Let me read the definition of earnest one more time. That way we can get it really stuck down in our minds. Earnest resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. Nobody's going to be devoted to something they don't have earnest sincere and intense convictions for. Otherwise, they won't be devoted. Amen? Why is the church not doing the things that it should be doing? It's because their earnest convictions are not in it. Their heart is not in it. Acts 12, verse 5. Peter goes to jail. He's in jail. What's happening? It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, I want you to get this. This word prayer, when it says prayer right there in the middle of verse 5, this word doesn't just mean prayer like regular prayer. It's It, it, it could mean prayer. Intense or instant or earnest prayer was made. Earnest, intense, instant prayer. Instantly, they were earnestly praying for Peter. Why is this their first reaction? Because they know that nothing eternal is ever going to happen. No miracle could ever be done without them seeking God. Do we need a miracle in our church? We honestly, unequivocally need miracles in our churches. But why, oh why, is the church still so silent in their prayer closet? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I don't even need to turn there because all it says is pray without ceasing. Amen? Pray without ceasing. I think the King James might say, pray continually. Right? Now I gotta go look since I don't remember. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. What does it say? I wanna I wanna know I'm, it. Pray without ceasing. That's what the King James says. Pray without ceasing. Without ceasing now finally I want to go to Ephesians chapter 6 And we've all read this We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 Okay Now I want to show you something that you might not have thought of Okay You may not have thought about this When you've read the book of Ephesians You may not have grasped this But I want to make sure that you do So you know the importance of earnest prayer. Verse 17, or verse 18, excuse me. Chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always. How often? Always. Praying always with all prayer. And the ESV says all kinds of prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay? Why is he saying pray always and do this. Why? Because they've just been told to put on all the armor of God, right? Isn't that what just happened just before this? Flip back Uh, or just go up here to verse 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Why am I putting on the whole armor of God? That you may you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. In the evil day. And having done all. To stand. Why is he saying this? I want you to flip back to verse 10. There's a, there's something that you need to get. And I need you to get this tonight. I need it to sink in. I need the people watching on Facebook to get this. I need it to sink into their brains. Where you don't forget this. Verse 10 starts out this way. Finally. This finally is here because everything before this finally is implied in everything that's about to be said to you. Everything that is about to be said to you, there might as well be a therefore right here when he says finally. Because everything that he has said up to this point has implications on whether you will withstand in the evil day. Everything that he tells you to pray about could be a temptation that you need delivered from. Now, I know when we read this, lead us not into temptation, we immediately think about gross sin. But do you understand that your family life being out of balance where you have a wife leading the family and the husband's not leading and the children are disobedient because That's what was being talked about just before verse 10. You understand that? Everything in Ephesians, the whole book, just before this, you have servants obeying your masters, and fathers not provoking their children, and children obeying their parents, and wives submitting their husbands, and husbands dying for their wives. And you have uh, uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Be therefore followers of God as dearly loved children and walk in the light. Walk in love. And he's telling us all this before he gets to this finally. You see, because brothers and sisters, most of you aren't out there killing people or committing adultery or, or fornicating Most of you are not out there physically committing these other sins. But do you not understand that any violation of God's law is a sin? So when fathers are exasperating their children, it is sin. When husbands are not loving their wives like Christ loved the church, it's a sin. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are convenient, but giving of thanks. Are you seeing this yet? That's in chapter 5. We could go back to Ephesians 4 and we could find other admonishments. That we should henceforth no more be children tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the slight and cunning and craftiness of men, where they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in him that is all things, which is the head, even Christ. You see, the tendency is going to want to be to neglect the gathering together of the saints is the custom of some. The tendency is to not want to love one another. The tendency is to not want to do these things. And yet... We're so apathetic and we're so undevoted and we're so unearnest in our prayer that all our prayer really is is God help me, God fix me, God bless me, and I don't care about anybody else. And that church thing really doesn't matter and that living holy thing really doesn't matter and that loving my wife thing really doesn't matter and me being a good example out in the community doesn't matter because really it's just me and Jesus and you guys need to leave me alone. But that's definitely, definitely why he's given this admonishment. That's why he's telling us this. Let's read again. Verse 10. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, because the devil isn't going to come and trick you, Christian, into doing gross sin most of the time. It's going to start out by little things. Hey, don't listen to your mom. You don't have to do that. That's just a pastor. You don't have to listen to him. That's that's just, oh, you know, God has grace. You don't have to follow that verse. Shame on us. That kind of understanding, that kind of thinking, that it's only gross sin that he's telling us to lead us not into temptation. See, the temptation is to be apathetic. The temptation is to not want to come to church. The temptation is to want to stay home. The temptation is not to talk to that person in line. The temptation is not to put myself out there and invite somebody to church. Amen? That's normally the temptation is to not do those things. and to him who knows to do good and does it not it is sin this is the sin and the temptations that we are to pray for forgiveness for these sins are the things that we're to be led away from these sins in Ephesians are the things that we're to be delivered from how do I know that? Just listen to verse 18. Now that we've read this and understand the armor of God and fighting this battle. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers. Praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Earnest Prayer. Supplication and watching thereunto. What does that mean? I am watching my life. I'm watching and I'm being careful to pray and watch out for these things with all perseverance, with all supplication for all the saints. Amen. Why? Because it's necessary in our struggle that is not against flesh and blood. It is necessary that we as Christians be devoted to the things of God, to be devoted and be earnest in our prayer life, praying earnestly for all of the people in our church. Because the devil's after them too. The devil is afflicting them, tempting them, trying everything he can to lead them astray. Beloved, we need each other. We need the body of Christ to be the house of prayer that it should be. And not just praying for our own needs but praying honestly praying the lord's prayer the way he modeled it that that manner of prayer life would be our expectation
1: Amen. So I just thought that, that was interesting how he links that.
0: So he said several that things.
1: with unbelief, if, well, I, if that's what he's doing. Yes. Things, yes. Because of your unbelief, because you weren't praying, you weren't seeking me. Because when we when we're failing to ask God for the things that He has told us to ask Him for, we are failing to believe that it is His will to give us those.
0: Amen. Things. Amen. So when that, we when we fail to ask God. For the things that he told us to ask for, we are walking in unbelief, saying, We don't believe that God will give me the things that I'm praying for. This kind comes not out but by prayer and fasting. Why? Because prayer is what was needed. And Jesus, before he ever created, or be, excuse me, that's a bad choice of words, Jesus, before he ever did a miracle, Before he ever performed a miracle, nearly every time he has been off praying and come and done that miracle. And he knew the source of that power. Amen.
1: said we must ask the Father.
0: Right, and that's the whole point of the Lord's Prayer is the manner in which you pray it. After this manner pray ye. Why? Because I know that I can't do it, I know that I don't have it in me to do it, but I know who to go to. And God is the source. God's the only source of salvation, help, mercy, grace. Anything that I need, I have to go to God. This church needs people on their face, going before God, seeking God, and then going out there and doing what God told us to do. Amen. That's the thing. See, once you understand you're praying for God's will and his kingdom, then that takes the earnest uh, that that takes the onus of you having this false expectation off of you. You know what I mean? People have all these false expectations because they think it's about them, but it's not always about you. It's about God's will, God's plan, and us finding what that is. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to give us your word, that you loved us enough to send your son to die on a cross and to save all those who would believe. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to pray. With earnest expectation. With earnest conviction and devotion. But Lord, help us when we pray to pray for the right things. To ask according to your will and your desire. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And when we do, God, help us to walk out this faith and live it in front of other people. Help us share the hope that is within us and give an answer to the reason that we have that hope. I pray, God, that you would do all of these things that we have talked about tonight, that you would help your church to pray. Teach us again, afresh and anew, how to pray with earnestness, with conviction and devotion, God, seeking you for all of these things, not just our own meager needs, God, but that your kingdom would come your will would be done that you would be glorified in how we live for you, how we're devoted to you how we speak and teach and preach and love other people preach to them teach them share the gospel of Christ with them let this change us, let it Give us a new and fresh understanding of how to pray, what to pray for, who to pray for. And I pray for all of those people, God, who are not coming regularly, who are maybe struggling with their church attendance, God, that, Lord, that you would give them a new passion and desire to be among believers who love them and want to see them grow, want to see their relationship with Christ grow. Want to see all the graces and the mercies and the fruits of the Spirit being birthed in their life to see them conformed more and more to the image of Christ. I pray, God, that you would make this place where families can come and feel as if they have a place and they have a part where they can come and feel as if they are being fed and taught and, uh, and equipped to go out and to do the work of the ministry. Lord, we ask that you would raise up those families here, that you would help those that are already here to be more fruitful and more excited and more on fire than ever before. Set revival afresh in our hearts and our minds for your glory, for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.